in Genesis 42. We're going through the scriptures on Wednesday nights. Genesis to Revelation. We're in Genesis 42 uh, this evening. What we've seen so far in the life of Joseph is that he was sold as a slave by his brothers, bought by Potiphar, then falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, thrown into prison from prison, interpreted two dreams, which led to him interpreting Pharaoh's dream, and now he's risen in power to be the second in command of all of Egypt. There's seven years of prosperity, lots of savings, saving, saving, saving for seven years of famine. We're now in the seven years of famine, and Joseph is going to get reintroduced uh, to his brothers. So let's pray tonight, and we'll get into the scriptures. Father, we thank you for the life of Joseph. So many things for us to learn about your hand being upon our lives, the details of our lives. Sometimes when we don't sense it, when we don't realize it, you're guiding and you're directing. And God, we know that you're into relationships. You in and of yourself are our relationship, the triune being. So Lord, we just pray that forgiveness would flow in our relationships, that reconciliation would take place through the power of your spirit. Lord, I thank you for each person that's here tonight. I just pray that you would bless them and that you would encourage them and speak to them right where they're at. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most frequent questions that I get as a pastor is, if I forgive someone, does that mean that I have to let them back into my life? They've hurt me, they're continuing to show this pattern of hurting me, and I know that God's calling me to forgive them, and so if I forgive them, does that mean that there's no boundaries in my relationship with them? What we see tonight in Joseph as he sorts out this relationship with his brothers is he maintained a forgiving heart. He had a heart of forgiveness, but there was some boundaries with his brothers until he saw that they had changed, until he saw the fruit of repentance, that fruit of that change of mind and change of direction. So there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is we are required to forgive all of those that hurt us because Christ has forgiven us. And we need to choose to forgive in obedience to uh, Jesus Christ. Reconciliation takes place when the person who has wronged you, or in the case if we've wronged someone else, where we realize what we've done and ask for forgiveness and walk in repentance. We're not expecting perfection. So if someone has wronged us, we're not expecting them to walk in perfection, but we are expecting them to realize what what they have done. And so we see Joseph living in this tension of both forgiveness and, and reconciliation. And I believe that this is a timely Bible study for us tonight, that there may be some relationships that God wants to heal, some relationships that God wants to bring reconciliation and forgiveness. So verse one of chapter 42. When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, indeed, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. This famine affected not only Egypt, but the surrounding regions. Jacob says, guys, why are we standing around looking at each other? You guys need to go to Egypt and buy some food. They're the only ones that have bread. During times of difficulty and times of famine, it's easy to get overwhelmed and do nothing, isn't it? Even when there's an obvious thing to do, we're so discouraged, we sit in that discouragement. And here's Jacob going, why are we all staring at each other? There's an obvious thing to do. We need to go to Egypt. So Joseph's 10 brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Benjamin and Joseph are the only full brothers. And out of these brothers, the rest of them have, have different moms. So the, Joseph and Benjamin both are Jacob and, and Rachel. There would be full brothers with, with Jacob and Leah. And you guys remember all of that, right? If you're new to the study, it's quite a mess. We'll just leave it at 
that Joseph and Benjamin are are full blood uh, brothers. Jacob had a favorite wife, and that favorite wife was Rachel. Rachel has passed away, so he's guarding Benjamin. Benjamin's the youngest. He believes Joseph to be dead, so he says, Benjamin is going to stay with me, and the ten brothers are going to go to Egypt. Verse 6, now Joseph was the governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where did you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Could you imagine the surprise for Joseph as he goes to work, the governor of the land, selling grain, selling food, and here comes 10 Hebrews from Canaan. They're his brothers. Now, we do know some of the time frame here, don't we? Joseph was sold as a slave when he was 17. He was 30 years old when he got this new position. There was seven years of prosperity. Now they're in the time of of famine. So he is at least 37 years old, if not a little bit older. He has not seen his brothers in 20 years. The last time he saw his brothers is when they were talking about murdering him. They decide not to kill him and sell him as a slave. He's pleading with them and begging them, Please do not sell me. Please do not abandon me. And that's the last images that he has of his brothers. And then all of a sudden, here he is at work, and here comes his ten brothers to be able to uh, buy, buy food. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize Joseph. I'm sure Joseph in the second command of Egypt has got all the bling bling of Egypt, He no longer looks like an Hebrew. He doesn't talk like a Hebrew. He's speaking Egyptian. And Joseph's response is one that we might think to be surprising. First, it's rough. He speaks harshly to them, and he will accuse them of being spies. But as we go through this, we see that Joseph really does have the heart of forgiveness. He's ready to forgive and enter into a restored relationship with his brothers, but before he does that, he's gonna test the heart of his brothers. He's gonna test to see if they truly understand what they have done and have changed direction. The Bible talks about the fruits of repentance. So repentance is that change of mind and that change of direction, and so the fruit of that is is the fruit of those decisions. He wants to see if his brothers are, are walking in the fruit of repentance. Verse 8, so Joseph recognized his brothers, but they didn't recognize him. Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. As a young man, as a teenager, God had given him this vision, this dream that his brothers would bow down to him. His brothers and his parents would, would bow down to him. And in this moment where he sees his brothers again, he recognizes his brothers, he remembers this dream that God had given to him. He knew that this dream was more than something that he had come up with, that there was something supernatural to this dream, that God was speaking prophetically in his life through this dream, and he held on to it. And in this moment, he remembers it. And God had fulfilled his word before his his very eyes. God always fulfills his, his word. So much of God's word is prophecy. Much of it's been fulfilled. There's more to be fulfilled, but God will always be faithful to his his word. I bet that Joseph was also thinking, I don't know this for sure, but this is not how I expected the dream to be fulfilled. He probably pictured that he would grow up with his dad, grow up with his brothers, have the inheritance as the favored child, the coat of many colors, his brothers would have to then come underneath his leadership. I'm sure he did not think that it would involve being sold as a slave, falsely accused, being a prisoner, being a foreigner in Egypt. And I don't know about you, but most times in my life, God gives vision and calling, and he does fulfill that vision and calling, but it's not in the way that I expected. It looks completely different 
than what I expect as I'm walking through the journey. Verse 10, and they said to him, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are one man's sons. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. So we're not spies. We're honest men and we need food. But he said to them, no, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And in fact, the youngest is with our father today and one is no more. I'm surprised they brought up Joseph. There's 12 of us. The youngest Benjamin's at home and one is no more. They believed Joseph to be dead. Who knows what happened to Joseph after he was sold as a slave. But Joseph said to them, verse 14, it is as I spoke to you saying, you are spies. In this manner, you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not this leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Saying, I'm gonna keep all 10 of you guys until you go get your youngest brother. Send one of you and let him bring your brother. So I'll keep nine, send one to go get the younger brother and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you're all spies. So he put them all together in prison three days. Let's them feel it for three days. So we begin to see what kind of wise man Joseph was, the kind of favor that the Lord had given to him to be able to think through these things. And he's thinking through this on his feet as he's introduced to to his brothers. So the brothers are sitting in prison for three days. Then Joseph said to them the third day, do this and live for I fear God. He uses the name Elohim, which is not common in Egypt. He says, I'm fearing Elohim, who they would know to be the, the one true God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your household and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. So, okay, got a better deal for you today. After three days, I've decided only one of you has to stay in captivity until you bring back uh, Benjamin. Now, what is Joseph doing? Is he just being mean? Is he being vengeful? Is he just tightening the screws a little bit before he forgives these, these guys? Why does he want them to bring back Benjamin? Because he knows Benjamin is in the same place that Joseph was a long time ago. And if they're still in a place of jealousy, a place of envy, they're going to knock off Benjamin on his way to Egypt, right? So this is a test to see if they've really changed. How are they going to treat Benjamin if given the opportunity? In verse 21, then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Isn't this interesting? 20 years later, the situation's happening in Egypt with the food, and the first thing that comes to their mind is God is repaying us for what we did to Joseph. We sold him as a slave. We saw him begging and pleading for his life, and we did nothing. Joseph suffered Suffered from those years 17 to 30. But who suffered more, Joseph or the guilty brothers? Possibly the guilty brothers. They went to bed every night living in this lie that dad thinks that Joseph is dead. And we have sold our brother out of jealousy. And there's something about guilt that weighs upon us, isn't it? It's heavy upon us. And you may be here tonight saying, man, I just, I just feel guilty for things that I have done in relationships. And good news, we need a savior. We need the blood of Jesus. The only thing that can cleanse us from the guilt that we've done against God and against others is Jesus. And that's why Jesus came. And that's why he died upon the cross to wipe away our sins, to cleanse us from our sins, to remove our sin from us. 
and his sacrifice is able to do that. As we trust Christ for salvation and confess our sin to the Lord, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if that guilt is upon your heart for something that you have done relationally towards someone else, you need to do some business with God, first and foremost. You need to go before the Lord and say, Father, would you forgive me for the way that I treated them? Would you forgive me for what I have have done to them? And God will be faithful to, to forgive you of your sins. And also, then it may be necessary to seek out forgiveness and restoration on the person that you have hurt. You're going, oh no, I didn't want to hear this. This is like the first day of summer weather, right? And I got to wrestle through this. But you know, you know in your heart if there's a relationship where the Lord is calling you to go back to them and say, look, I have wronged you. I've sinned against you. I sold you as a slave. It's amazing what the Lord can do. God blesses humility as we have humility with him and humility with one another. God can do beautiful healing inside of relationships, but it's very evident that these brothers are walking through these 20 years with a guilty conscience. In verse 22, and Reuben answered them saying, did I not speak to you saying, do not sin against the boy and you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. But they didn't know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. So here's Reuben going back and reliving a conversation 20 years ago when they're out in the field. And here comes the golden boy with a coat of many colors. And Reuben's like, didn't I tell you guys? Didn't I warn you that we can't sin against him by doing this, even though we wanted to in our jealousy and we wanted to in our envy? And here's Joseph. Joseph is hearing this, and he's hearing them have this this conversation. In verse 24, and he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he returned to them again and talked with them, and he took Simon from them and bound him before their eyes. And here we see this balance of forgiveness and reconciliation. Joseph has the heart of forgiveness. His heart is soft. When he hears his brothers speaking this way, expressing their guilt and their remorse, he weeps. He's got to remove himself and go be in a private place. And and his heart is broken and he longs for relationship and restoration with, with his brothers. If Joseph were bitter, I don't think he would have the response of weeping. He would have had more of the response of like, you knuckleheads, you're gonna pay. Like, this is my opportunity to make you pay. I've been longing and waiting for this day for 20 years, and it has finally come. Church, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is where the work is done. This is where the heart work is done for each of us when someone sins against us, is to not choose the route and the rut of bitterness. We're going to respond some way to someone sinning against us, and it's easy to settle into bitterness. And bitterness will defile many. It's a cancer. It'll grow and grow in our hearts, and we'll spread that to others. It'll rob us in our relationship with the Lord. It'll rob us in other relationships that are outside of that relationship with the person that has offended us. You may be bitter toward a parent or a coworker, and it'll affect your marriage. It'll affect your relationship with kids. It'll affect other relationships. That bitterness just, just overflows. One of the ways the enemy loves to get us is through bitterness. Be careful. Don't choose bitterness. Choose forgiveness. And in Ephesians 4, 32, it tells us, be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God has forgiven you in Christ. So the Father has forgiven us because of Christ, because of Christ's sacrifice. Not based upon us, but based upon what Jesus has done. So since I'm forgiven based on Christ, I choose to forgive others based on Christ. Christ's sacrifice is enough for my sin, so it's also enough for the person who has sinned against me. Jesus put it this way. A man had an astronomical debt that he owed. 
he couldn't pay it. The one that he was in debt to says, okay, I'm going to put you in prison, put your wife and kids in prison until you pay this debt back. Life in prison. Wages aren't very good in prison. And he feels the weight of this. This is what he deserves. This is what is just. Begs and pleads for mercy. And the one who he owes the debt forgives him. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if American Express was just like, you're our favorite customer. You're our thousandth customer that's called today. So it's all forgiven. Can you imagine the mortgage? Just, hey, don't worry about sending us a, another mortgage payment. It's paid in full by us because we appreciate you as, as a customer, right? Student loans, student loans. Man, those things stay with you. What if they're just completely decided, you know what? We really are for education, not for money, so we're just gonna just give this over to you, no big deal, right? This amazing debt being paid off. This man has his debt paid and then he sees a friend who owes him a small amount of money and he decides to hold him accountable and does throw him into prison until he pays the debt. It makes no sense. You've been forgiven so much. Why can't you forgive little? The person that he owed money to hears about this and says, "Uh uh-uh, this is unjust. It is not even fair. You've been forgiven so much and you're willing to unwilling to to forgive. See, when we fail to forgive, we fail to realize how much Jesus has forgiven us. We're never going to be asked to forgive someone more than what God has forgiven us. Amen? So as we take a look at this and we see the sin of someone else against us, we have to look at our own sin, but most importantly, then look at the cross. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. And we choose forgiveness. Forgiveness is not based on the emotions. You've probably heard me mention this before, but when I've really been hurt or I've really been wronged, I never feel like forgiving. Never, ever. I don't have the warm fuzzies with forgiveness if someone's hurt me. It's a choice of the will. It's a choice of obedience. To say no matter what my emotions are telling me, I'm choosing to forgive because Christ has forgiven me. And sometimes I need to say it out loud and say it out loud and say it out loud and begin to pray for that person. Choose to forgive Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You just keep forgiving. And eventually the emotions come along. Eventually when you make that choice of forgiveness, your, your emotions will line up of that decision of the will. My pastor growing up, he put it this way. If you change your mind, God will change your heart. But if you don't change your mind, God won't change your heart. So it's us changing our mind and saying, I'm choosing to forgive because God has forgiven me. Is there someone you need to forgive? Is there someone that if they came back into your life and began to express this kind of remorse, that you would weep because you have a heart of forgiveness? You're like, praise the Lord. Could this be the break in their hearts that could result in the restoration of repentance Or when that moment comes, would you sock it to him? Because bitterness has been beginning to build. How do you know? Right now you're fighting it inside of yourself. Right now you're you're hearing me, but you're allowing it to go into Charlie Brown mode. Wah, 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 wah. You don't want to hear what the Holy Spirit would say to you today. And God's saying, it's time. It's time to get out of the prison of bitterness and enter into the joy of forgiveness, choose to forgive, walk in forgiveness. Choose to forgive, walk to forgiveness, and you're gonna be set free of bitterness. So Joseph has the heart of forgiveness, but he also has the wisdom to set up some boundaries until he's seen the fruits of repentance. You would think this would all wrap up right here, verse 24. They say a few words of remorse, and then I'm sorry, restored in relationship, But Joseph says, no, it's not that simple. I want to see that your actions have changed, right? So what does he do? He takes Simeon and he says, you're staying with me until Benjamin comes back. 
Verse 25, then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain to restore every man's money to his sack and give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sacks to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money and there it was in the mouth of his sack. So he said to his brothers, my money has been restored and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying to one another, what is this that God has done to us? (laughs) This really got them. Joseph puts all their money back into their sacks. They're being accused of spies. It's like, this is the worst thing possible. He's going to think that we're trying to deceive him, but they understand that God is wrestling with him. God is the one that is, is dealing with them. God is the one that's really in this, this business of reconciliation and restoration, and he'll wrestle with our hearts. Then they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, and told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man who is the Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our fathers. One is more, and the youngest is with our father. Let me go back. We are 12 brothers, sons of our fathers. One is no more, and the youngest is with our father. This land, this day is in the land of Canaan. Verse 33 can't come quick enough. (laughs) Verse 33. Then the man, the Lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your household and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me, so I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. Deliver the bad news to dad. Verse 35. Then it happened as they emptied their sacks that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Here's Jacob's perspective. Everything's against me. Everything's against me. Joseph's no more. Simeon's no more. And now you want to take Benjamin? All things are against me. If Jacob only knew what God had in store, Joseph's still alive. Joseph's been placed strategically by God in Egypt to save the whole entire family. Simeon's just fine and is going to be restored to dad. Nothing's going to happen to Benjamin. Many times in our perspective, we get overwhelmed and overcome, and our conclusion is everything stinks. Everything's terrible. Everything's against me. Nothing's going to change. There's no future. There's no hope. Now, is it ever true in the life of a believer that all things are against us? No. What does Romans chapter 8 tell us? We ended our study last week with it. If God is for us, who can be against us? God has stated that he is not against us, that he is not in an adversarial position as our foe. Because of who Jesus is, he is for us. Now, having said that, does God always do things our way? No, he doesn't. He's God. And he's got a plan that's bigger than us, and he uses all things and works them for good. But Good according to who? Good according to him. Good according to his purposes for his glory. So if you're in that place of deep discouragement tonight and you feel like, man, all is lost, everything is against me, remember God is for you and he's working a plan according to his glory and according to his good. You don't know what's around the corner. I don't know what's around the corner. We don't know what the next season will be uh, in our lives. Verse 37, then Reuben spoke to his father saying, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you, speaking of Benjamin. Put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. So we're seeing the fruits of repentance in Reuben. 
But he said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. If anything happens to Benjamin, I would die, is what Jacob is saying. Well, once again, Jacob has really shown his favoritism. What's his position right here? Well, Simeon can rot in prison in Egypt as long as I got Benjamin. (laughs) Could you imagine, you know? You're like, here's Simeon. You're like, I guess dad doesn't really care. He's gonna keep Benjamin at home as long as Benjamin is safe. And this shows how strong Jacob favored Joseph and Benjamin, the, the sons of Rachel, and really saw the rest of his kids in a secondary nature, unfortunately. And that's what caused a lot of the damage in the family. We're gonna go into chapter 43 tonight as well. Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass when they'd eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, go back, buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him saying, the man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Dad, we're not leaving without Benjamin. This man, which is Joseph, made it very clear that we have to come back with Benjamin. And Israel said, Jacob is also called Israel. His new name is Israel. Why do you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother? (laughs) Why were you guys honest? Why did you tell him about, about Benjamin? But they said, the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words, could we have possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? Did we have any idea that he was going to ask for Benjamin? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, Then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. Judah's taking responsibility, saying, I will be a a guarantee for Benjamin. I'm guaranteeing on my life that Benjamin will make it back safe. Verse 11, and their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man. A little balm, a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Man, pistachios and almonds are so good. This has to help the cause. Anybody else out there a nut lover? Man, let's hang out sometime. Pistachios are so good. Every year for Christmas, my in-laws always get me a big can of cashews. So good. All right. So he's delivering some nuts, hoping that that's going to smooth things over. Verse 12, take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. So you need to take double the money. You need to take for the first payment of food. Hopefully we'll be able to buy a second round of food plus return the money that you found in your sacks. Take your brother also and arise and go back to the man. Verse 14, and may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. So Jacob takes a risk and he says, may God Almighty give you mercy. In the Hebrew, God Almighty is El Shaddai. In Genesis 17, verses 1 through 3, let's turn back there really quick. If you'll turn back with me to Genesis chapter 17, we see the phrase Almighty God used for the first time as God is revealing himself to Abraham. Abraham. 
Genesis 17, verse 1, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face and talked with him, saying, So God reveals himself as the Almighty God to Abraham. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob here is living under the relationship with an almighty God. One of the success stories is this faith that was in Abraham was passed to Isaac and passed to Jacob. Is Jacob perfect? Not at all. But is Jacob trusting in the Lord in the midst of this turmoil, in the midst of this chaos in his family? Absolutely. And he's saying, this is out of my control and this scares me. I've already lost Joseph. I may lose Simeon and I may lose Benjamin, but may God be merciful. May El Shaddai be merciful because El Shaddai, the almighty God, made this promise to Abraham that we would be a mighty nation, that we would multiply in descendants. And that's where we go. That's where we go in our relationship with the Lord and in our families and in our church. We trust in the mercy of God. And we ask that God would move according to his mercy. What mess is your family in? Well, let me encourage you. Your family is not the first family to be in a mess. I hope the book of Genesis has shown you that. Every family in the book of Genesis is a mess. And to cry out to the Lord and say, Almighty God, would you be merciful? Would you intervene? And would you show up in the midst of this mess that we're facing? Verse 15, back to Genesis 43. So the men took that present in Benjamin, and they took double money in their hand and arose and went to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought them in into Joseph's house. Things are getting very real. We just want to buy some grain, get Simeon, peace out, put this in the rearview mirror. And Joseph's like, no, you're coming over to my house. We're having a big dinner. Now, the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house, and they said, it is because of the money, which was returned in our sacks the first time that we were brought in so that he may make a case against us and seize us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. When they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house, trying to smooth things over, and said, O oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food, but it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks, and there each man's money was in the mouth of a sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it back in our hand and we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. But he said, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your fathers has given your treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Joseph drops a huge hint here. What does he say? Your God and the God of your fathers, right? He's saying God is the one who's given this money to you, the God of your fathers, the, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So the man brought them in into Joseph's house and gave them water and they washed their feet and gave their donkeys feed. Then they made their present ready for Joseph's coming at noon for they heard that they would eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present, which was in their hand, into the house. Remember what was part of the present? The pistachios and the almonds. So this is a, like, hey, we brought you some pistachios. And he's like, these are good, right? And they bowed down before him on the earth. Again, this fulfillment of Joseph's dream. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they answered, your servant, our father, is in good health. He's alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, 
God be gracious to you, my son, pronounces blessing upon Benjamin. Now his heart yearned for his brother, so Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep, and he went in his chamber and wept there. They pass the first test. Benjamin is brought safely to Egypt. They don't do Benjamin in the way that they did with Joseph. But Joseph's still not ready to enter into reconciliation. He still wants to test their actions a little bit more. In verse 31, then he washed his face and came out and he restrained himself and said, serve the bread. So they set him in, so they set, so they set him a place by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews for that's an abomination to the Egyptians. Isn't that amazing? The racial division all the way back here in, in Genesis, the Egyptians are like, we're not eating with the Hebrews. Those Hebrews are an abomination to us. So, so Joseph wasn't able to eat with his brothers. Verse 33, and they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. 11 brothers, right? And Joseph remembers the birth order puts him from oldest to youngest. And they're looking, going, how would he know this? Like, did he get a hold of my social security number or what? Like, this guy has got some crazy intel. He thinks we're spies. He's been spying on us, right? And they're just totally astonished that they're put in their birth order. In verse 34, then he took servings to them from before him, but Benjamin's servings was five times as much as any of their heirs. So they drank and were merry with him. So Joseph gets five times as much food. They're bringing out the food and, or excuse me, Benjamin gets five times as, as much food. Bringing out the food and they're just loading it up upon, upon Benjamin. It was several years ago, it must have been, about three years ago, we were on an Israel trip with the church, and Amber was able to go, and our daughter Hannah was able to go, and our daughter Addie, and we were eating lunch in Bethlehem, and it was time for baklava, and baklava is really good over there, and for some reason, the waiter really thought Addie was cute, you know, he was like an older grandpa type, and Addie was pretty young, and so like in a, in a granddaughter type of way, not in a we- weird way. And so he just kept bringing her all of the baklava, you know? <laughs> it's like, you want more? All this baklava on her plate, you know? And you should have seen Hannah's face. Like, what in the world's going on? Like, why is my little sister getting all the baklava, right? And then it became this big joke, and we still joke about it in our, in our family today. Like, man, she really lucked out. She got all the baklava, right? And so this was an expression of Joseph's favor upon Benjamin, but it's also a test to the brothers. Are the brothers going to be envious? And notice what's said here. So they drank and were merry with them. They're not envious anymore. They're just rejoicing. They're thankful for the food they had and they're fine with the fact that Benjamin got five times as much. The scripture tells us we're to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who who rejoice. And sometimes it's easier to weep with those who weep, as hard as that is. Because when someone gets blessed, maybe they have five times as much as what you have, you're like, dang, that's not really fair. Why did you get five times as much as I did? Or we're doing the same work and you got a raise or, or maybe I feel like I'm doing better work and you, you got a bonus and it really can reveal that heart of envy and jealousy inside of us. So it's another test that's passed by the brothers. And this is where we're gonna pause and stop this evening. And there's really three primary applications that we see from the text tonight. And the first is guilt. Is there guilt on your heart? Take it to Jesus. You don't need to be walking in guilt. You don't need to be walking in shame. Maybe there's guilt over the way that you've treated someone. Take that to the Lord and go to them and ask that the Lord would restore that relationship. Maybe you don't know Christ as your Savior and you're wondering, can anyone forgive my sins? Can anyone 
lift this guilt off of me, and Jesus can. He's ready. You don't have to carry that guilt anymore. Come to the cross. Look to Jesus. Believe him. Trust him for salvation. Turn from sin. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior, and he's going to lift that sin off of you. He's the only one that can do that. The beauty of the forgiveness of Christ takes away our guilt. And then to choose to forgive others. As we take communion tonight and we receive the forgiveness of the Lord and you lift that cup of forgiveness, are you willing to extend that forgiveness to someone else? And you might say, do you know what they did to me? Do you know what they did to Joseph? They sold him as a slave. And do you know what they did to Christ? And it's because of Christ that we're able to forgive. So make that choice. Choose to forgive. Call it out by name. I choose to forgive so-and-so in the name of Jesus because God has forgiven me. And then walk in that forgiveness. Choose to forgive tomorrow and the next day. And eventually your emotions are going to come along. And then reconciliation. When do you restore the relationship? When you see brokenness and the fruits of repentance. If someone has hurt you and 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 they come into your life and they say, hey, I'm sorry. It may be wisdom to say, I forgive you, but there's gonna be some boundaries till I see that you've changed in your life. Now, I think I have to clarify here because when this comes to marriage and divorce, how does this work inside of marriage and divorce? is God always wants marriages to last. That's his heart. He always wants marriages to last. The only time that the Lord gives allowance for divorce is when there's sexual immorality or when the other is an unbeliever and they choose to depart. There may be some times where there needs to be separation, but even the separation should be for that purpose of reconciliation. But inside of that heart of reconciliation, there does come a time where if your spouse is walking in willful rebellion sin over and over and over again, that the loving thing to do is to say, look, I'm not divorcing you, but there are some boundaries here. There are some boundaries. And that's something you really want to pray through. You want to get into God's word. You want to get godly counsel and make sure that those boundaries are being made for the purpose of repentance and restoration because it's really easy to slap on a boundary out of bitterness. You know what I'm saying? We're like, I'm really hurt by you, and I know the Bible teaches reconciliation, but I'm just going to have this wall of Jericho boundary that you can never overcome. And that's not what Joseph is doing here. So really pray through that. There may be some times for some necessary boundaries until you see the fruit of repentance. And then when that fruit of repentance comes, that's when the relationship is restored. And we're going to see that. So stay tuned in the study of Genesis. And God is the one who's given us the ministry of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18, it says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. God has reconciled us unto himself through the cross of Jesus Christ. We're made right with the Father. We're reconciled. And now he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Remember what we're learning about Joseph's story? His story is a part of the bigger story of God declaring his glory. Who's going to watch this reconciliation of relationship? Pharaoh and all of Egypt. All of Egypt's going to be like, wow, Joseph's dad just came. Joseph's brothers just came. And the world's watching. And as we reconcile as believers, it's a testimony of Christ. It's a testimony of what Jesus has done for us. When there's even reconciliation with unbelievers, we're showing them the the message of, of the cross. When unbelievers see us walking in forgiveness and reconciliation, it's the gospel that's lived out in front of them. It's the gospel really come to life. God is into relationships. He really is. And he's big enough to reconcile relationships. And I know this hurts It hurts to the core. This had to hurt for Joseph. It had to hurt for the brothers. It's difficult to be in the brothers' shoes and be the ones who did the wrong. It's tough to be in Joseph's shoes and be the one 
who is on the receiving end of the wrong. And as their relationship is restored, how sweet it is. And God's able to do it. He's able to do it. And what we want to make sure is on my end, on my end is my heart right. On my end, have I done the heart work with God? And am I walking in in godly wisdom? Am I ready to move forward in, in reconciliation when it's there? right time. If, if you've had a broken relationship that God has restored, you know the sweetness of it, don't you? It's so good. You go, God's so good. He, he restored and he healed and he reconciled that relationship. One of the things that we've seen God do is we've seen God reconcile marriages that were completely lost. There was completely no hope outside of Christ. But one person in the marriage turned to Christ, looked to Christ, started praying, started pressing in. And over time, God won over the heart of that other spouse. And that relationship was reconciled and resurrected. God God can do it. God can do it. There may need to be a mini reconciliation that takes place in a relationship. The great divide hasn't taken place, but there's a small divide Maybe there's a little bit of frostiness or tension inside of the home with the spouse, with a child, with a parent, with a roommate, with a friend, with a coworker. And it goes so far to seek the Lord and say, God, I want to give this relationship to you. How could you bring reconciliation in the midst of this relationship? It may simply be a phone call away. Could be one meeting away for God to bring reconciliation in the relationship. Life is short. Life is really, really short. And if in any way possible, if you cannot go to the grave with broken relationships, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And it may not be what it once was. That's okay. But it could be a lot better than it is right now. The Lord loves, loves, loves to heal relationships. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what we learn in your word tonight. And we learn from Joseph's life. We see that heart of forgiveness, but yet that wisdom to have some boundaries until there was repentance. We thank you that you release us from guilt for the wrongs that we've done to others. Lord, would you lift that guilt off us as we, we seek you? We thank you that we have been forgiven and we can extend forgiveness to others. And Lord, we thank you that you're the God of the reconciliation of reconciliation. And Lord, would you lead us through your Holy Spirit to bring reconciliation in relationships for your glory, for your testimony to be seen amongst unbelievers and believers. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.